Several years ago, Chris and I had an anniversary trip. We, uh, we went down to my sister's wedding in Southern California, and we went up the uh, coast, Pacific Coast, and uh, spent a couple of weeks doing that. And uh, once we got up into uh, Washington, we went through Tacoma, where we had lived back in the 80s. We lived there about uh, five years, seven years, I forget. That was my first duty station in the Air Force at uh, McCord Air Force Base. And there was this house we lived in. We called it the shack. Um, it, was, it was an older house. It was, it was a good little house, though. You know, we, we enjoyed living there. It was, it was right next to a cemetery. We would take walks through the cemetery. But, uh, you know, through the years, and that was a long time ago, through the years, Chris and I always kind of talked about, well, you know, I wonder if, if somebody could, if somebody has, has bought that house and fixed it up really nice, you know, that could be a really cool, neat little house if, if somebody put some uh, time and effort and, and money into it. So when, when we were on this uh, trip, we we found that house and... Uh, to our disappointment, it was there, but it had a uh, it had a chain link fence around it with barbed wire on the top and a big sign that said "condemned." <laughs> and uh, oh man, we were we were crushed. You know, I, I don't know why it went in our house, but uh, you know, it was, it was just kind of oh, what a disappointment to come come to that, you know, because we had, we had built this up in our, in our minds. You know, imagine what it must have been like for the Jews to come back to Jerusalem after being uh, exiled for, for 70 years. You know, the, uh, the, the kids who were born during this time, their, their parents and their grandparents surely told them about the splendor of Solomon's temple and what a great city Jerusalem was. And after 70 years, you know, God stirs the heart of these people, the hearts of these people to come back. And those who had, who had seen it before, and even those who hadn't, but they'd heard about it, you know, imagine the uh, disappointment when they, when they came into Jerusalem and just saw rubble. The temple gone, the temple torn down, the walls torn down, you know, just as if there was a, a big sign that, that said condemned. But God stirred the hearts of these people to, to come back and rebuild. And uh, this, was, this was God's plan. We, we, we went through this. Uh, you know, the prophets foretold this. Open your Bibles with me this morning to uh, Ezra, Ezra chapter 2. We're going to cover Ezra 2 and 3. We're just going to briefly go through chapter 2. Uh, it mostly has a, a genealogy of some of the, the people who, who came back. But there's some good stuff in there. This is the first wave of the uh, returnees. And chapter 3 begins a story of, of the beginnings of, of rebuilding the temple. You know, this, this place, place of worship. You know, the, the house of prayer. Read with me. Uh, starting in chapter, I'm not going to read this whole thing, just the first couple of verses, then I'm going to skip down to uh, the last few verses. So, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own. They came with Zerubbabel, 
Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Raham, and Baana. The number of men of the people of Israel. And I'm, when, I, uh, when I taught college uh, in, in Montana, sometimes I, you know, if there was something I didn't want to do, I would just say, I'm going to leave that as a student exercise. You can, you can read this, ge- this genealogy uh, as, as a uh, congregational exercise. But I'm going to skip down to, uh, to 64. I almost feel bad doing that. But it's a, it's a tongue twister. The whole assembly together was 42,360. This is verse 64. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337 and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736, their mules were 245, their camels were 435, and their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord that was in Jerusalem, made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasurer the treasury of the work, 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priests' garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns, and the rest of Israel in their towns. Chapter 3. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in towns, the people gathered as one man, to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel and offered burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the people of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings, morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and at all of the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from their captivity. They appointed the Levites from 21 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of 
Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of, the, of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And all the people shouted with great joy as they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud with joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful sound from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Well, there's a lot there. But I'd like to um, talk about this, this beginning of, of rebuilding and what was, what was required, what was necessary. Three things I'd, I'd like to uh, focus on. Rebuilding begins with uh, unity, with a focus on worship, and with the, the laying of a, of a good foundation. So unity. Rebuilding begins with unity. You know, 50,000 people coming back at uh, God's direction, you know, making this uh, dangerous journey, coming back to their, their homeland. Uh, you know, we, we see the beginnings of, of unity in this accomplishment. The, uh, the writer here doesn't really tell us uh, much about that journey, but we can imagine, uh, you know, it was, it was dangerous. There were, there were bandits along the way, accidents, you know, mishaps, perhaps. We don't know. We don't know the hardships of, of the people as, as they journeyed. But, and we don't know the, uh, the story of the, uh, the unity as they journeyed, the cooperation with each other, although I'm sure it was there. Can you imagine the, the hope that they had? Also, maybe the, the trepidation, you know, but contrast this with the uh, journey that they had made 70 years ago, you know, when they were being driven out of their homeland into captivity. You know, this had to have been a, a time of joy. And we, need, we need to ask, well, why did, why did the Holy Spirit see fit to uh, give us chapter 2 with this, this list of, of people? Um, you know, it's easy to, when you, when you come across something like that, just to skip over it. And like I said, I almost feel bad having, having done that here. But, uh, you know, this, this genealogy of tap, chapter 2 uh, really puts a, a zoom lens on, on the people of God. You know, this, this is the, the fulfillment of, of prophecy. These, these people were fulfilling God's prophecy here. You know, anybody under the age of, of 70 uh, hadn't seen this place. We don't know much about these people, but, you know, this, this list really shows us God's hand in, in human history. You know, later on people could read this and say, hey, that was my, that was my grandpa. You know, that was, that was my, my great-grandfather. He was there. He made this journey. You know, I, when... Um, when I was little, my dad's grandmother was, uh, I think, near 100 years old. And I remember 
she sat down with us kids and told us stories about coming across the United States in a, in a covered wagon and, and settling in Kansas. Um, and that was, that, was, that was amazing. You know, I, I'll, I'll always remember those the stories. But anyway, at the end of chapter 2, the people began to, to settle in. You know, they went to their own towns. They, they had a lot of work to do. You know, they, they've been gone for 70 years. A lot, a lot can happen in 70 years. Any, anybody under the age of 70 hadn't seen this. And, uh, you know, those, those, are two, those who were old probably didn't have the energy to, to do much. They, they had to deal with the heartbreak of, of the destruct, destruction they saw. But for seven months, it says, they, they worked at rebuilding their, their lives and their, their places of uh, where they lived. And after seven months, we, we see again where, where God is stirring the hearts of the people again to come back to Jerusalem and, and rebuild the temple. It says, and I love the way it says this, it says, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. They came together as one man. That, this is unity. You know, each, each person, each, each family certainly had their, their own concerns you know, their own livelihoods to, to look after. And, uh, you know, what would have been the easiest and the most natural thing for them to do? Probably just to stay put and keep working on their their houses and their farms and whatever it is they're, they're working on to rebuild their, their lives. You know, seven months is not a lot of time to, to restore their, their personal well-being. But... Each person set aside their own concerns for the, for the purpose of coming together in unity to do the work that God had called them to do. Um, let, me, let me bring in a couple verses from the, uh, the New Testament. You know, Philippians 2, 1 through 4 gives us a, a, a picture of this kind of uh, attitude. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Yeah, and we see this this spirit in these people. You know, they were they were singular in in purpose. Uh, you know, there there weren't competing agendas where people were fighting with each other. They came together as one person to Jerusalem to to rebuild. You know, I'm sure with so many people involved, there were different opinions. How do they deal with these? Uh, I think they put those differences aside. You know, they didn't let it bring division, but they gathered as one man. They're here to do God's work. You know, to, to bring glory to the one who had stirred their hearts and brought them out of captivity, to the one who stirred the heart of King Cyrus, the king of Persia, to provide for them to come back. You know, each person was not seeking his or her gain, but seeking the, the gain of the, the community, the community of the people of God. And so we see God stirring in how these people ordered their priorities. We can also see that uh, rebuilding begins with uh, a focus on worship. 
Let's, let's look at how they worship. There, there's a few things here that I'd like to point out. First, they worshiped by, by giving. Did you notice that, that this was brought up in a, in a couple uh, areas in this, in this test, uh, text? At the end of chapter 2, it says that some of the heads of the families, when they came up to the house of the Lord in, that is in Jerusalem, they made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work. Now, different translations uh, put put this in, in different ways. You know, some some will say that the people gave a voluntary offering. Some will say that they gave freely. This one that I read, the ESV said it was a free will offering. You know, the the word in the original language means just that. It's a, it's a voluntary contribution. And uh, I, I looked it up in the Hebrew. This this Hebrew verb that is that is used. Uh, it means to impel or to stir. And the verb form that's used is uh, reflexive. It's, it, it talks about they, they, they were stirred within themselves. They were self-stirred, self-compelled. You know, this, this speaks to their, to their character. They were generous. We've we've already seen this this concept of of stirring. You know, God stirs the people. God's people respond. God stirs the the king, and the king responds. You know, they they were generous. They they were committed to the work that the that God sent them to do. Uh, hear what Paul says in Second Corinthians nine six through eight about. Worshiping through giving, each one must give as, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. So you see, giving is an act of worship. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of uh, setting your spiritual priorities it's it's taking our eyes off ourselves and onto God. It's it, it involves a, a high level of, of trust in God to provide. And uh, you know these people did not act under compulsion. They weren't they weren't taxed. They they were self stirred. They weren't they weren't pressured to give, but they contributed uh, willfully and, and cheerfully and according to their ability. They made worship the top priority. Notice that uh, before they did anything else, they built the altar. Now I was thinking about this. If I, if I was going to build a temple, if I was put in charge of a temple project, probably what I would think would be the, the logical order would be let's, let's build the building and then let's, let's build the altar. But no, even before they set the foundation, they, they built the, the altar and they put it in place and they offered sacrifices to God. Their, their number one priority was, was worship. They put their trust in God. They, they, came, they came back to this place where they had lived and you know the people there were, were not exactly welcoming they were they were opposed by the inhabitants, uh, and and it says they were fearful. They were they were afraid. It says they built the altar because they were afraid. Interesting, huh? It was 
It was this, this fear caused them to trust in God and, and gave them a desire to, uh, to worship and to sacrifice. They set the altar in place for fear was on them because of the people of the lands. Then they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings, morning and evening. They were turning to God, turning to God. They were uh, doing this in obedience to God. They, they were sacrificing it says continuously, morning and, and evening. Pretty high priority. This, this, this seems to be a reference to Deuteronomy 33 where uh, Moses is called a, a man of God. They, they said, it says here they, they were doing this according to Moses, the man of God. Deuter- Deuteronomy 33.10 says, They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law, and shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries and those who hate them, that they not rise again. You know, when we encounter opposition, what, do we do? what should we do? We should worship. We should trust God. Put our put our lives, put our circumstances in, into His hands. Worship Him. We need to offer our ourselves to Him. You know, the Bible talks about giving sacrifices of, of praise. We need to be people of, of praise, even even when we're opposed, even when we have. Uh, Maybe bad things happening in our, our lives. We need to offer ourselves, as, as pa- the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, about sacrificing our, ourselves, giving ourselves on the altar. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, offering ourselves as a, a spiritual sacrifice to God. And as we, as we give ourselves to God, we become aligned with, with his will. We realize more and more that, that he's on our side, don't we? Um, he'll 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 bless us as he did them. He'll he'll protect us. In Psalm one forty five eighteen through twenty, David says this: The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. Something else that it mentions is they, they celebrated the, uh, the Feast of Booths. And I don't know if you've ever given much thought to the, uh, to the Feast of Booths. But it, it was a, a commemoration. It was a remembrance of the time when, when God's people were wandering in the wilderness and living in these, uh, these temporary shelters. They were, they were nomads. As God was leading them around, it, it says God was leading them with a, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They were totally subject to, to God's will and, and leading. 
totally needing to uh, to trust in God during during this time. And it's also you know kind of looking forward to eventually one day coming to this land of promise that God had told them they were they were going to where they would have a a temple instead of a a tabernacle, a a tent. Next, um, rebuilding begins with having a good foundation. You know, once the altar had been built and put into place and worship had been uh, reestablished, the next step was to, to lay the foundation for the temple. Uh, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, their their families and the priests and the, and the Levites began the work and uh, supervised its its completion. You know, these were the leaders. You know, they they made sure that the temple would would be built solid, with a good foundation, with with integrity. And uh, you know, what happens if you build a building? We've talked about this before. If you build a building without a good foundation. You know, it's going to crumble. It's not going to last. The The work uh, that would come next would, would be in vain. There's kind of an interesting item here, you know, how the, how the people responded when the, uh, when the foundation was laid. You know, the, the older people who had, who had seen this, this old temple, the Temple of Solomon, this, this glorious temple, this, this amazing building full of splendor and riches. They saw this, this work and it says they, they wailed. They, they wept. Why did they do that? You know, it's because they felt, I think, that whatever they do, it's not going to compare to what we had before. But notice what the other group, the, the newer people who hadn't seen that, they were rejoicing. They were, they were yelling in, in joy. And it says between the wailing people and the, the joyful people, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell who was who. It was just a, a, lot, of, a lot of loud noise. Um. How's it, how's this relevant to us? You know, whenever whenever we uh, whenever we teach through a, a narrative, you know, we it's it's a good story, yes, but we need to ask, you know, so what? How does this apply to me? How does this how does this inform the way I, I live? Uh, let's let's talk about this. I think that um, you know, for us, we can. We can look at this and we can see that uh, the, the church is God's building program now. The church is God's building program. Paul talks about that in Ephesians. But we need these same things. We need, we need unity. We need, a, we need to focus. We need to make worship our, our top priority. We need to uh, make sure that we, that we have a good foundation One of, one of the main themes of Paul's letter to Ephesians is, is unity in the church. He urges that uh, believers, as they're being built up into this, 
Paul, Paul says that the church is a, is a building. That's one of the metaphors he uses uh, uh, that is made up of living stones, us, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, this, this building being built up to be a habitation for God, to be a, a house of prayer, a house of worship. In verses uh, 4, 1 through 3, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know, unity starts with humility towards one another. And what is our purpose? It's to glorify Christ. And we do... We do that when we love each other. You know, without unity, we'll fail. We know that. Worship needs to be a top priority. You know, what's, what's our purpose as a church? Our, our constitution, the first thing it says is our purpose is to glorify Christ. Uh, the, these returned exiles, what did they do? They set up the altar, first thing, and they resumed worship. They did this before anything else. They didn't build the building, and then put the altar in as, as a second thought. You know, in the same way, we need to put our emphasis on worship. You know, we need, we need to be a house of prayer. That's God's desire for, for his temple, for his house. And church, church programs without worship and prayer uh, will be like hay and stubble. They'll be, they'll be worthless. You know, building without true worship and ardent prayer will be little more than a social club. Glenn Damon says, prayer is the expression of a dependent heart. Effective ministry can only be accomplished when we become completely and entirely dependent upon God's empowerment and strength. Only when we yield our own pride and self-sufficiency to Christ, humbly recognizing that apart from him we can do nothing, can we be truly effective in ministry. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 6, don't be anxious for, for anything, but by everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known for God to God. Um, we cannot overemphasize the need of worship and prayer. It's, it's what we come together for. Like I mentioned earlier, this is a worship service. We're here to worship God. We need to make sure we build on a solid foundation. Um, you know, in God's word, he's given us everything we need to know to come to salvation in Jesus Christ everything we need to know to live the Christian life, to walk in the spirit, to be obedient. He's given that to us as a foundation. This is, this is what Paul is talking about when he talked in Ephesians about the foundation of the being laid by the apostles and the prophets. He's talking about God's word. And we need to rejoice in God's new work. Um, you know, are we going to be like those who look back and uh, and wail because things aren't the way they used to be? Through the years, I've known so many people that just held on to some memory, you know, some nostalgia from 
something that happened in the past, a church they'd gone to or, or music that they, they loved. That's, a, a, I think, a very natural thing for us as, as humans. I think there's a reason why in the Psalms in several places it says, sing a new song to the Lord. You know, we need to, we need to embrace with joy what God is doing now. He's done some great things in the past. Absolutely. But, oh, what's in, the, what's in store for us in the future? The Bible says we, we can't even comprehend. No eye has seen or ear has heard. Yeah, look out. <laughs> exactly. Hang on. Yeah. Yeah, Ephesians 2, 19, 19 through 22. Let me, let me read this. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also are you being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let's, let's be excited. Let's be joyful about what uh, God is doing in this church and in this community. What he's doing, what he's going to do through us. Amen. I love what Paul says in Philippians three thirteen through 15. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to look forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You know, the, the important thing is what we do now and what we're going to do, what God's going to do through us. So, has God stirred you to, to do his work, to, do, to be part of his uh, building plan, his rebuilding plan? Uh, he has with me, and I, I pray that he has with you as well. Um, let's, let's rejoice knowing that he's got great things for us. And uh, that we have a privilege. We've got the privilege of being part of his work. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, you, you're the one who's placed us here. It is, it is by your will and by, and by your stirring that we are here. It's by your faithfulness that, that we even exist. Lord, it's your will that this church would be a, a place of, of prayer, a house of prayer and a place of worship. Uh, to be a lighthouse in our community, to be salt. Lord, continue to, to transform us uh, as, as, we, as we learn from you, Lord, as we study your word. Let, let your word dwell in us richly, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray that you change us. Fill us, Lord, with, with your Holy Spirit and... Uh, we just dedicate ourselves, Lord, to you. We, we consecrate ourselves, Lord, to your service. Lord, use us as, as holy vessels for your will. In Jesus' name, amen.